Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Welcome to FOMO Friday, where we love to make sure that you do not experience the fear of missing out, especially if you're not listening to the propaganda media. Uh, we want to make sure you know what's going on in the world. And so this is what we do on Fridays. We love to bring those stories to you. And in a series of stories from the Daily Wire, we start out with one right here in the Pacific Northwest, which is where this podcast is based out of. Uh, and, and it brings a question that I want you to consider. Oregon sheriffs are vowing not to enforce a strict gun control measure passed by the state's voters last week. Now, at, at least five county sheriffs are openly refusing to not enforce at least parts of the law, according to Fox News. The officials say that the, the law oversteps constitutional gun rights and will be an, an additional drain on law enforcement while failing to address problems with more serious crimes. Now, the biggest thing, this is a quote, quote, the biggest thing is this does absolutely nothing to address the problem. This is from Sheriff Cody Bowen of Union County uh, and what he told Fox News. Quote, the problem that we have is not magazine capacity. It's not background checks. It's a problem with mental health awareness. It's a problem with behavior health issues and illness. He also said that our society as a whole is a bigger problem rather than than saying that, you know, the guns are are killing people. The Oregon uh, voters approved Measure 114. This is what this is all about. Voting for some of the, the... strictest gun control regulations in the country. The ballot measure banned the sale, and this is just one of the things, it banned the sale or transfer of any magazine capable of holding more than 10 rounds of ammunition. Now, if you know anything about guns, you know that is that is a very low number. And there, uh, you you can you can look at a lot of different types of guns. That that's the only uh, they they hold more rounds than that just naturally with with their their uh, magazine that comes with the gun. Uh, it's not a matter of going out and buying more high capacity um, magazines. The rule also bans Oregon uh, Oregonians from receiving a firearm from a licensed dealer without completing background checks from the state police. Now, current federal regulations say that that, uh, potential purchase can only be postponed for up to three days if the background check is not completed. And so what this does is this says, you know what, you can, uh, you as a government, you can um, hold up any of these purchases for as long as you want. They have, that the, the purchaser has to wait on you and, and if you don't ever give them that permit, then they never get that firearm that they purchased. Now, Measure 114 appears to have passed by a slim 51-49 margin, um, though votes are still being tallied. And by Wednesday evening, six of, the, of uh, Oregon's 36 had voted in favor of the measure. That, that kind of shows you uh, how the state is reflected. It, it kind of... 
the the liberal end of things is centered obviously around Portland, Salem, and Eugene, and uh, and then every, everywhere else uh, gets voted out and gets voted against by those uh, three areas. Now, um, one of the reasons they're still tallying, I mean, we're talking about over a week later, like a week, a week and a half, um, they're still tallying is because Washington and Oregon are vote by mail only states. There, there are no polls there. Uh, and you um, send send uh, your 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 ballot in, or you can drop them off at a drop drop off point. Um, and and the Secretary of State uh, and uh, the auditors of each county they're, they're they're among the worst in the country. I mean, they they know that these things uh, this this was going to take a long time. They said ahead of the election that they were it was going to take a long time. They did nothing to uh, to, to to change that or to make make it better. And in fact, we even have one uh, uh, city council uh, election where the vote is going to have to happen again because not everybody got a ballot with the particular uh, race on it that should have. And so uh, they announced the, the winner. Then they took it back and said, oops, uh, nobody, nobody talk about what we said, and we're going to have to do this all over again. It's just a mess. The, the election process, it's just a mess in the Pacific Northwest. Now, sheriffs across the state have echoed uh, Bowen's concerns with the law, uh, the Measure 114 that is passing, and said that they will not enforce part of it or all of it. Quote, the Lynn County Sheriff's Office is not going to be enforcing magazine capacity limits, Sheriff Michelle Duncan said in a Facebook post. Um, Sherman County Undersheriff James Burgett said that Sheriff Brad Loray would not enforce the new strict regulations either. Now, Malher County Sheriff Brian Wolf said that enforcing Measure 114 would be needless waste of department's resources, according to Fox News. Quote, it would take away from the things that we're doing every day to try to keep people safe. Restricting people from ownership of guns, in my opinion, is not going to help anything. We're going to make it harder for people to purchase guns for self-defense. Jefferson County Sheriff Jason Pollock released a statement over the weekend outlining his disagreements with the new law and stating that he would not be enforcing it either. Quote, the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office will not enforce Measure 114, I do not have the personnel to attempt to permit every gun purchase in Jefferson County. Additionally, I believe the provisions of Measure 114 run contrary to previously decided judicial decisions. Now, this is the question that I want to pose to you. What would you do in this case if you were the sheriff of a county? Would you enforce the law? And would you enforce a law that is that takes away a God-given right and makes people less safe? I mean, if you're enforcing this law, people could very easily potentially die because they have they, they would have no way to self-defend. Now, this law goes beyond capacity, and we're it, it, there's there's multiple uh, areas of this of this new law, this uh, this measure 114. And one of the, the biggest ones is that it may very well put a ban on buying new guns in Oregon. So in Oregon, you cannot 
um, you know, get a gun without, you know, if let's say you wanted to buy a gun from another state, it would have to be shipped to your firearms dealer and he would then have to then get to you, uh, given the fact that you go through your background checks and that type of thing. Um, in, in this law, what it does is it says that, that you cannot get a gun. You cannot buy a new gun without taking a class on how to use a gun first. It doesn't matter if you have your concealed carry. It doesn't matter if you're ex-military. It doesn't matter any of that. You have to take a, a class each time that you want to buy a gun. Now, it's not, it goes beyond that. What it also does is it says that this class has to be given to you by the sheriff's office. Now, it doesn't say that the sheriff has to give the class. So many of these sheriffs are not going to set up a class for you to take. So you cannot buy the gun. And on top of that, it, it does not give any funding for these classes. So if a sheriff does decide that, okay, I will go ahead and set up a class and, and do all, there's no funding for it. That it comes out of their budget, which is already strained the defund the police thing has, has done a number on them. And so here you go, having a law that basically takes away your second amendment rights of owning a gun. You cannot even be giving a, given a gun in, uh, in these States. Uh, let's say you wanted to borrow one from a friend. You cannot do that. It, that, that is an illegal transfer. Even if you just let them borrow it, let's say, you know, let, let's say that you're not feeling very well and let's, let, let's mentally, and let's say that you think, you might be a danger to yourself or others. And so you want to give your gun to some, to, to a friend or whatever for a short time because you're in the middle of a depression or whatever the case may be. You cannot do that. It is illegal to do that. So again, these things are making it worse. What would you do if you were a sheriff in this case? Well, obviously a lot of these sheriffs are standing up on the side of we're not going to enforce an unconstitutional law. All right, let's move on. Trump announces his 2024 launch of his campaign and things could not be going any worse. On election day 2022, Donald Trump couldn't stand that the news of the day was going to be about him, or about not him, actually. So as Republicans prepared a last day of campaigning in hopes of winning control of the House and the Senate, Trump announced that he was going to make a special announcement in exactly one week, taking away obviously any, you know, some momentum from what was happening in that blue wave or, uh, or in that, in, in what, what turned out to be uh, a red trickle. So, um, but, but, uh, but those seven days have been brutal for the dawn. Nearly every election uh, denying a candidate Trump uh, endorsed lost his handpicked candidates in a slew of States like uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, went down in blaze and in a blaze of shame. Then Republicans and political pundits put the blame for the GOP's uh, dismal showing squarely on Trump. Exit polls found that a hefty chunk of voters came out just to vote against Trump's candidates. And his presence was enough to throw some races to the Democrats so far so bad, but then came announcement uh, announcement night. Trump held an event at his ballroom in Mar-a-Lago with a, an elite list of invited guests. 
But as Trump spoke, some of those people grew weary and decided it was time to leave. They were bored by the uh, by what ABC's Jonathan Carl called an incredibly low energy speech, which timed out at just over an hour. So they they headed for the for the exits. None. Not unexpectedly, CNN and MSNBC gave the speech short shrift. But surprisingly, Fox News cut away from his speech before he was finished and never came back. The things are, are, things are going from bad to worse already. Uh, quote, even the Tea Party isn't fully behind former President Donald Trump as one of the movement's founders, Tea Party um, Patriots Citizens Fund Chair Jenny Beth Martin said uh, her um, influential groups wouldn't uh, weigh in on the 2024 race until the Georgia runoff had concluded. And uh, the many Republicans openly blamed Trump for the, the midterm election losses and something that, that wouldn't uh, occur if he still um, you know, weighed the, the, the clout that he once had. And they also began to openly discuss other possible nominees for 2024, from obviously Governor uh, of Florida, Ron DeSantis, to uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Now, the, the talk got so far along um, that, that political pundits began speculating whether about whether Trump would would play spoiler by running as a third party candidate. Should he be, you know, um, shunned by the GOP in, in, in the nominating process, Max Burns, uh, founder and chief strategist of uh, third, um, degree strategies told the, uh, the mail that he didn't think Trump would stoop that low. Uh, but David Greenberg, a president of the cultural historian, uh, and, and cultural historian, uh, historian at Rutgers university told, the UK paper that knock, uh, knocking Trump out would would be a tall order. He just doesn't see how it would happen. Um, he's got money. He's got media exposure. Uh, you know, if he wins the primary, he wins the primary, and he's he's the guy. But um, but the historian noted that even if Trump were to you know let's say pull ten percent of the vote, if he's a third party candidate, that would obviously kill um, any kind of Republican. Uh, nominee in in 2024, um, I, I I chalk this up to a lack of discipline, and then, let, let let me explain a little bit here. Trump, in many ways, has made his bed here. Um, there there are several things that I like about Trump. Um, I I think he did much of what he said he would do as president. So he said he would do something. He 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 did the majority of that. Um, he stood up to the propaganda media, even when, you know, the coverage was, was, um, documented at like over 90% negative, but, but he has some obvious character flaws. His ego gets in his own way and his style, uh, has, has really turned many off. And so the prospects of him, um, being reelected as president, um, have, have become slimmer and slimmer. And I think it's time to step aside um, you know, for him to step aside uh, for the betterment of his party and, and for the nation. But we'll see, uh, you know, and we'll follow the story as it goes along. Um, and, and, you know, there, the, the, there was, there was a, in, in looking at this next story, it, it reminds me of something that happened uh, a, a little, a little while ago. I was in a, uh, a, a community, I was living in a, in a city 
where the uh, the local car dealership, the main uh, new car dealership uh, in that town, uh, was owned by a Christian man who gave discounts to uh, pastors when they would come in and buy a new car from him. And it was it was a pretty good discount. I mean, it was something like 10% or something, uh, which obviously could add up on a new car. Um, and he would do this for all pastors. Um, and uh, there was a whole community get together one, one year for, I, I can't remember if it was either Easter or Christmas. I think it was Easter, but anyway, the, uh, they had all the pastors of the community up on stage and it was, it was a big venue. Um, lots of people there and uh, all these pastors are up on stage and, uh, and we're, we're about to celebrate Easter. Well, I looked up on the stage and I see these pastors and I also see one other person uh, that doesn't fit <laughs> up there. And it's, it's kind of like that Sesame street game, you know, one of these things just doesn't belong here, you know, type of thing. One of these things just isn't the same. And, and it's, it was this gentleman, this, this car dealership owner. Again, he's a nice guy. I didn't have any problem with him, but he wasn't a pastor. And yet he was being celebrated as such on stage. Um, and why was that the case? Well, it was the case because he gave big discounts to pastors. And so, I, again, there, there was there was something wrong with that. In, in my mind, that was a huge red flag for what was happening here. And in the same vein comes this next story. Did you ever vote for a brave new world created by the globalist Klaus Schwab? <laughs> well, well, it doesn't really matter whether you wanted it or not. Because under President Joe Biden, it seems America is along for the ride anyway. This week at the G20 summit, Schwab told government leaders that the entire world order needs some change. Quote, if we look at all the changes that we can speak about, the, the, the multi-crisis, uh, economic, political, social, um, uh, e ecological, and, and uh, industrial crises, Schwab said, this is, this is what he's saying at the, at the G20 summit, but actually what we have to confront is a deep systemic and structural reconstructing of our world. And this will take some time and the world will look different after we have gone through this transition process, unquote. Now Schwab is a German engineer and professor by trade as well as the founder of the World Economic Forum. We spoke about his, him and his uh, forum uh, here on the podcast before. Uh, he was never elected, he was never elected any, any kind of leadership position whatsoever. He, went, he wasn't even elected as, as a condo association leader or anything like that at all, at all, let alone a government position. Nevertheless, he has been pushing for the Great Reset, for all nations to you know, to, to do this for some time now. Now, in 2020, arguing that COVID presented a grand opportunity for his vision, Schwab called upon countries to implement long overdue reforms that promote more equitable outcomes depending on the country. These may include changes to wealth taxes, the withdrawal of fossil fuel subsidies, and new rules governing intellectual property trade and competition. So you can see he wants he wants the world to go away from a capitalist type system and a representative type government, you know, the Western world type of, of uh, uh, thing that we have. 
and he wants to go to more government control. Um, he is he is a, he is pretty influential as as he brags that he has uh, embedded WEF ideals amongst national leaders throughout the West, um, and and he says it's all thanks to Young Global Leadership Program that he has. Uh, he says that I have to say when I mention uh, now names like Mrs. Angela Merkel and even Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. But what we have, what we are very proud of now is that the young generation like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and President of France, um, the uh, um, Ar- Argentina and so on, Schwab said uh, that that in, in 2017, he said, but we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a reception for the Prime Minister Trudeau, and I know that half of his cabinet, or even more than half of his cabinet, are actually young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. So again, this is a the G20 summit is supposed to be made up of 20 leading nations alongside various groups uh, and, and NGOs that, that help promote economic and, and social policy. In, in, ideally, the summit uh, is really about spirited debate where the, people can go in and we can kind of hash things out. Uh, but it's kind of turned more into the Schwab show <laughs> and, and everybody kind of agrees with each other and it's kind of an echo chamber type, type scenario. Um, not, not a good thing, but, uh, uh, but it's something that we'll definitely want to be uh, keeping our eye on. Now, speaking of international dis- disasters, <laughs> have, you, have you noticed the, uh, the disaster that has come down in cryptocurrency? Well, when cryptocurrency uh, exchange platform T- uh, FTX suddenly imploded last week, immediately erasing the fortune of, of 30-year-old founder Sam Bankman-Fried, the, the public soon noticed multiple strings uh, between the company and the Democratic Party that curiously run through Ukraine. Yeah, let let me let me explain. Uh, FTX, which is headquartered in the Bahamas, so it's not a American company, right? It's not under American regulations, has launched in in uh, it launched in 2019 and had accrued more than 1 million users by 2022. However, users suddenly demanded $6 billion in withdrawals after an article published by Coindesk revealed that the two arms of Bankman-Fried's cryptocurrency empire, the FTX, and Alameda Research had a significant overlap on their balance sheets in the form of the the cryptocurrency FTT, which FTX invented. Now, rival firm Binance, uh, which has has been planning to purchase FTX, announced that it would discharge all holdings in the coin and eventually reverse course in the acquisition, rendering the overnight success bankrupt. Now, Bankman-Fried went from maintaining a 16, or actually it was a $15.6 billion net worth to having no material wealth at all, um, just equally as fast. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like within within a two day period of time. Now, the young mogul, however, it comes from an extraordinary, well connected family. His father 
Joseph Bankman is a tax scholar who teaches at Stanford Law, which his mother, Barbara Freed, is a, a fellow Stanford Law professor who also uh, leads Mind the Gap. This left-wing political action committee raises funds for the Democratic Party from the Silicon Valley donors. Now, Linda Freed, the aunt of uh, ba- uh, Bankman Freed, is the dean of Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health and, and a co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council. Hmm. On and, and, and it's the Global Future Council on the Future of Human Enhancement. The controversial organization once promoted FTX, along um, although their their website now uh, linking the company was uh, scrubbed after the bankruptcy. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, Bankman Fried himself. Uh, emerged as a major donor to President Joe Biden's campaign during 2020 and the self-proclaimed effective altruist. More uh, recently donated nearly $39 million to support Democrats in the midterms, which occurred days before the company imploded, according to the data from Open Secrets. He had uh, been preparing to spend as much as $1 billion, yes, with a B, during the 2024 election cycle. This is what he promised to do and to keep Democrats uh, in the White House. Um, earlier this year, and he's, he's literally, the, he's, he's the second biggest donor to the Democratic Party be, behind George Soros. Now, earlier this year, Bankman Free launched an initiative along with Ukraine's Ministry of Digital Tran- uh, Transformation to fundraise for the Embattlement Nation, the Embattlement Nation, which has received billions in uh, humanitarian and military aid from the Biden administration, marking the first instance of cryptocurrency exchange providing a conduit for crypto donations to a public finance institution. So, Obviously, there there's some just ties that go all over the place here. Um, it's definitely something that that is not um, it, it, it's it's not something that we should be seeing from from a company that uh, basically was kind of unregulated in many ways. Uh, so the regulators didn't come down on this company. It was run terribly. It imploded, and all all of this. Uh, be, probably because he's a major donor to liberal causes, and so um, you know it's it, it's it's is just one of those hypo- uh, uh, hypocritical things. It's hypocrisy uh, at its highest. If this was um, a company that was donating to, let's say, a conservative cause or whatever, they would have been all over this company. Uh, and and because they weren't in this case, there's going to be a lot of people that lose some money, a lot of money. Um, through this this particular crypto. Now, let, I, as you know, you've you've heard a number of FOMO Fridays. We love to to really end on a higher note, right? A little lighter note, let's say. And I, this one caught my eye. The National Toy Store uh, Hall of Fame new honorees include an object dating to ancient times, a line of muscle bound action figures, and an iconic art set whose medium is colorful pegs have you uh have you figured out which ones these are well the hall announced the top yes the top like the spinning top masters of the universe and light bright as the year's inductees the trio had was chosen from a field of 12 finalists that also included bingo 
um, Briar Horses. I'm not sure about Briar Horses. I'm not, that, that one, that one, I'm not sure about. Uh, Catan, which I am very familiar with. Catan is a, is a board game that was one of the ones that really brought on this this uh, this new uh, era of modern board gaming. Uh, Nerf, that would be a good one. The the Pinata. I don't know why that one's not already in. Phase Ten, uh, Pound Puppies, Racco, and Spirograph. The 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 top Hall of Fame inductees. Um, uh, and, and it inducts a new class of toys each year in a ceremony at the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, where the the hall is housed. Now, the top earned um, a, a place by being a childhood's a staple for cultures in Asia, Europe, and uh, you know the Americas, Australia. I mean, all over the world, really. Um, we we can see where um, the top was. Um, it's been found in, in Greek pottery, uh, dating back over 2000 years ago, but even further back, I mean, the top is one of the oldest toys and an integral part of many cultures where it was developed independently, uh, as a, as a plaything, And, uh, it, and it goes back even, even more than 5,000 years in history. Um, so obviously it needs to be in there, right? Um, Hasbro's a light bright has maintained its popularity for more than 50 years after being introduced in 1966. Uh, marketed in 1968 as a magic light box, the toy encourages kids to create glowing pictures, and of course, by pushing the colorful pegs into an, uh, the illuminated black background. I know as a kid, you know, we didn't have uh, a lot of money for all the black backgrounds, so we just used uh, normal paper. <laughs> but uh, but then also it honored um, Mattel um, and and its mark of 40-year anniversary of the franchise with the He-Man uh, type of action figures, the Skeletor and all that kind of stuff. My brother had one of those. I think it was like skunker or something. And it smelled, it's supposed to smell like skunk. I don't know how that, that, that worked. I, I couldn't smell it too well. I don't smell a whole lot of things, but, uh, but that was, uh, that was, uh, one of the ones that went in, uh, this time and we'll look for others, uh, coming up in the near future. So anyway, uh, just something fun. And, and you, you know, you may agree with these particular ones going into the hall of fame. You may disagree, but I would love to hear from you, of, of course, and you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.